Hello, and welcome to episode 179 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. A warm welcome to Amanda H. and Saad S., the newest members of the Modern Manager community. Now, today's guest is Dory Clark. Dory has been named one of the top 50 business thinkers in the world by Thinker50. She is a keynote speaker and teaches for Duke University's Fuqua School of Business. She is also the author of Entrepreneurial You, Reinventing You, and Stand Out, which was named the number one leadership book of the year by Inc. Magazine. Dory is also a former presidential campaign spokeswoman, and she writes frequently for the Harvard Business Review. I was so excited to talk with Dory again, as she was one of my very first guests when I first launched this podcast in 2018. I've linked to her original episode, number eight, Optimize Your Time with Dory Clark, in the show notes. This time, we talk about lessons from her new book, The Long Game, about how to become a long-term thinker in a short-term world. And hint, it's a lot about how we prioritize. Now here's the conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. It is such a pleasure to have you back, Dory. I'm super excited to talk to you about your new book. And I just was looking up your first episode that you did with me, which was episode number eight. That was like more than three years ago. So I can't believe it took so long to have you back. So thank you for being here. That's amazing. Congratulations on powering through and doing so many episodes. I love that, Mamie, and I'm so glad to be back. All right. So we are going to talk about this idea of white space and the fact that so many managers and just so many people are so busy all the time. And You have done a little bit of research and a little bit of analysis to figure out part of the reasons why we are just so busy and we don't have time for the things that actually matter. So what have you been discovering? Well, they're the reasons that we all know that we're busy and we are not wrong. <laughs> Every, everyone has too many meetings. Everyone has too many emails. In fact, there was a McKinsey study that showed that the average professional spends about 28% of their time, you know, about a third of our, of our work life is spent just answering emails. So no wonder it feels oppressive. That is all true. But in addition to that, some of the research that I discovered was pretty interesting because it turns out there's some emotional reasons, some sort of hidden reasons why we sometimes say we want to be less busy, but act in ways that create the opposite. One of them is that during times that we are uncertain, you know, maybe we need, we know we need to do something, but we don't quite know how to do it or something's just stressful we we need to we need to interrogate it and think about it but we don't really want to deal with it like is this really the right direction is this really the way i want to be spending my time sometimes it's just frankly a lot easier to keep going and keep your head down and do the thing and execute rather than stop and ask what can be really uncomfortable questions and then the final reason is that research by Sylvia Baletza from Columbia Business School actually showed that at least in many Western cultures, there is a lot of status associated with being busy. And so when we are perceived as being busy, 
people generally, and we generally think of ourselves as being important. And so we actually put that at risk if we find ways to become less busy. So there's, there's a whole cascade of reasons why it often is a lot harder than we might imagine to extricate ourselves from the hamster wheel of being busy at work. Well, I mean, those reasons you just gave right now, I'm like, oh yeah, that is so me. <laughs> I mean, already I'm just like, yeah, this idea that we are nervous or unsure about exactly what to do or where to go. And so we just kind of keep ourselves occupied with other things and therefore are so busy, we never have time to get to the real important thing. I'm like, oh, I've got some things on my to-do list that I probably am doing that and, and procrastinating on, but procrastinating in a way that makes me feel good because I'm keeping busy with so many other things. And I'm wondering with these kind of social or emotional needs that we have that we're kind of relying on being so busy, like how do we get past that? What do we do? Because it's not as easy as just saying, all right, I'm gonna put some new time management techniques into place and that'll help. Right, exactly. One of the things that's actually really important to do is to be clear upfront what we're aiming toward. Because sometimes you get into a situation where even if you're strong enough, disciplined enough to weed whack your schedule and carve out some actual white space for yourself, we often find that unless we have really planned what we're going to do with it, we kind of waste that time. I mean, a lot of professionals have probably experienced this you know, like on a, on a weekend or for, or for some uh, block of time where we suddenly have a, a little bit extra, maybe a few meetings get canceled. Oh my gosh, you have this extra time. And on one hand, you think, oh, I can finally do X, Y, Z. And what you actually end up doing is maybe answering a few emails and, you know, going through the stack of mail on your desk. And at the end of it, you say, oh, you know, that was not, that was not what I intended. That, that was not, the kind of deep work use of time that I wanted. So we really have to be clear, what what do we want to do with this time? And it, it could be a particular activity or it could literally just be, okay, I am going to reserve this time for strategic thinking and big picture thinking. And that's a great thing to do. But the key is that you have to guard it like a dragon because otherwise Everything else in the world is going to intrude on it and take it away. And you have to be ferocious about protecting your own white space. Yeah, this reminds me of something my mother said to me once, which was, you know, when you get money, that's a surprise. Like you get a birthday gift that's a gift card and or cash and you just didn't expect it, that you should immediately spend it on something for yourself. Because if it just goes into your wallet, it will get sucked up into all of your other expenses and you'll never do anything special for yourself. And it feels kind of the same way that if there's found time, as you know, I call it, and you don't protect it and you do something specific with it, it just deteriorates into the rest of your day with the rest of your to-do list. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Uh, it's it's very easy for us to let things evaporate. We're part of the reason that I wrote the long game is that we are often so accustomed just by the the you know, sort of pressures of life and the hurly-burly of work to being in reactive mode. And certainly the pandemic did not help because the nature of life in the past 18 months was that all of us were forced to be reactive. We were forced to be adapting and you know, being agile and all these things that are good things to be. But the truth is, you can't just be that. You also have to be proactive. You also have to set 
a, a forward thinking strategic plan for yourself or else, you know, you're like a jellyfish. You'll just end up kind of wherever, which I think for most of us is not good enough. That's not really where we want to be. We need to set a clear intention for ourselves, but nobody's going to hand it to us. We have to do it ourselves. So I feel like this is a good segue into this idea of how to carve out more white space. So we can have found white space. Oh, this meeting got canceled. Oh, this you know appointment got rescheduled. Or I just finished this thing early, so now I have an extra half an hour. But there are also ways that we can be more thoughtful about creating white space. So can you tell us some of those tricks? Yeah. Well, I've had, of course, to learn all of these lessons myself the hard way. (laughs) So I am very much coming at this from the perspective of somebody who is a fellow student and fellow traveler. But one story that I tell in the long game, which I think was kind of a turning point for me in terms of my thinking, was I had an experience where I actually had a friend reach out to me and her offer on the surface was a fantastic offer. She was part of this association and they were going to have a conference in Grand Cayman and they wanted me to be the speaker. They would fly me out there. They would pay for me to go and I'd get to see my friend and get this Caribbean vacation out of it. And so my immediate first thought was, well, can I do it? And so I I looked at the calendar and indeed the week was free. So I thought, oh, this is great. And I was so tempted to just immediately write her back and say, yes, yes, of course. But then I could just sense that something was nagging at me. And I began to pull back a little bit and to try to think about it and understand what was going on. And ultimately, I ended up turning down the offer, which I felt really bad about. I felt really conflicted about. But ultimately, there were a few things that I realized. The first is that for a lot of us, our first impulse is just literally, can I do it? Does it fit in my calendar? Do I have a conflict? If not, okay, I'll do it. But it's really the wrong frame. The frame shouldn't be literally, can I do it? The frame should be, okay, I have this limited block of time. Is this the highest and best use for it? Is there something else that would be better that could fit in here? And so really asking that question is important. Another is looking at the overall cost of doing something. I was, when I actually pulled back to look at the whole of my calendar, I realized I was traveling the week before and I was traveling the week after. And so I thought, you know, is this really going to be fun for me if I'm on the road for three consecutive weeks and, you know, I'll just kind of be banged up by then. And it was, finally, I realized, you know, part of the big attraction was, oh my gosh, I get to see my friend. But it was a little ridiculous because I, when I thought about it, I realized I live in Manhattan and she lives in Brooklyn. I did not have to go to Grand Cayman to see her. I could just (laughs) literally, you know, make a dinner date. So I realized there was a different and better way of accomplishing my goal. So ultimately, I said no to that obligation. And I was glad I did because it it really would have taken the better part of a, a week. And that would not have been the highest and best use of my time. Wow. I mean, first of all, I'm so impressed that you said no, despite, you know, that strategic thinking. It sounds like it would have been something that would have been very tempting on so many different levels. And, you know, I feel like, you know, on the one hand, most of the things that we get asked to do on a daily basis or on a weekly basis aren't nearly that tempting, but they're still really hard to say no to. I'm, I'm just thinking about things where like a friend will call me up and be like, hey, do you have 10 minutes to talk to me about this situation I'm working through and I could use your advice? Or, you know, someone says, hey, we're working on this new project. Uh, you know, can you review this before, you know, we go into final mode? And 
none of those things do I have to say yes to. You know, I get meeting invites and I'm just like, okay, it's on my schedule. I'll go to it. None of those things I have to say yes to. And yet it's not so easy to say no either. Absolutely. I mean, this, this is the fundamental challenge. For most of us, we have gotten at least decent. You know, most people, if you're a reasonably successful professional, you've at least gotten good at saying no to terrible offers. <laughs> like we know, yes, we yes. know well enough about that. But the problem that I talk about in the long game for so many of us is that, you know, we're smart enough to say yes to a great offer. We're smart enough to say no to a bad offer, but it's the ones in the middle that will kill us because for so many things that people throw at us, there are some redeeming features, right? It's, oh, well, you know, it's, it's unpaid, but, oh, there might be somebody in the audience that would be good to connect with, or, oh, you know, it's not really my favorite type of food, but, you know, my friend's inviting me or, oh, well, you know, I don't really have time to do this, but I, I might need a favor from him in the future. So I should probably put something in the favor bank or, you know, like whatever there's, there's a million justifications and it becomes problematic because I mean, yes, all those things are true, but it also can suck up your entire life coming up with this list of contingencies about, well, you know, maybe blah, blah, blah. And so in the book, I actually quote Derek Sivers, who's a entrepreneur turned author and he has a frame that many people will be familiar with, which he calls hell yeah or no. And he, he basically has posited that if you really want to get good at saying no, unless something is essentially a nine or a 10 on, on a 10 point scale of, of your level of excitement, you need to say no, because it's the, the sixes and sevens and eights that will kill you and will kill your schedule. I love that measure of you know, how excited are, am I? How strategic is this? How much does it align with my goals? And using even a numeric scale like that and being able to say like, is this, am I on an eight, nine or 10? Like, is this really exciting for me? Or is this like something I feel obligated to say yes to or just blindly say yes? I mean, I, you know, I wrote my book on meetings and one of the things we talk about there is just because you get a calendar invite doesn't mean you have to click yes on it. And being, you know, pausing to say like, how is this supporting me or my goal or the work I'm doing? How is this moving me forward? You know, applying that in all forms, not just to meetings, but to every request. That makes so much sense. Absolutely. Yeah. It can be quite liberating. Yeah. All right. So now I, I'm thinking about the few times where I've said no to things and I feel like I have to be, you know, apologizing profusely. I'm so sorry. I can't make it. I have to make up an excuse as to like, oh, it's the same night. I'm already booked or I'm just not going to have a chance to get to this. My schedule is so busy. Do you have any thoughts about how we can say no with confidence and not make it feel like yucky or we're being a bad friend or we're being a bad colleague if we do have to say no so that we can create more white space and focus on our priorities? Yeah, absolutely. I have a, a few thoughts here. So the first one, you know, interestingly enough, and, and perhaps this is the case for you as well, Mamie, but when I think about the times I say no, and it just doesn't phase me as compared to the times when I have this like incredible emotional stress about doing it, it oftentimes the, when it's easy, when it's clean, it's usually because I do have some conflict and I can write back within five minutes and just say, oh, wow, maybe I'd, I'd love to come, but it turns out I have something else that night, you know, really bummed, you know, have a good time. And 
there's there's no stress because it just seems so clean and clear in my head. I can't do it, so I'll say no. I'll say it no. I'll say no quickly and graciously, and that's the end of it. I'm not beating myself up. But we we often create the problems in our own head because if we're weighing it, you know, if if we don't have that external excuse of oh wow, I have this other commitment, I can't do it, we go back and forth and oh my gosh, well, you know, what'll they think and you know, will will they be mad and blah 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 blah. And we're creating that drama in our own minds. The recipient, I mean, unless we're talking about some, you know, super important life event, the recipient is probably going to feel the same way receiving your note, whether it's five minutes later and, oh gosh, I have a conflict, I can't do it. Or whether you are angsting for a week and a half about, Mm. oh, what am I going to say? I don't know. Uh." So I am a really big fan of creating scripts for yourself. So that you don't have to reinvent the wheel every time and, you know, oh, what can I say? And, oh, it's going to be so awkward. If you actually have a bank of scripts for yourself about how to just quickly and politely and tightly say no, and you can send it out with no regret so that you're not going back and forth and retreading it in your mind, I think that that's really helpful. So in the long game, I actually provide some samples, but ultimately we don't need to go into you know elaborate excuses or, or or things like that. We often think that the other person requires much more explanation than they actually do. It's perfectly fine. I mean, th- where where people get mad, honestly, is if you drag it out, if you don't respond, or if you respond too late. But if you can just quickly write back and say, "Mamie, thank you so much for such a great invitation." Uh, I'm afraid I'm I'm not able to make it, but thanks for thinking of me. I, I hope you have a wonderful time. You know, that's that's really perfectly fine for 95 out of 100 engagements. If you want to provide uh, some kind of an, an explanation or context, you know, oh, I'm so, I'm so sorry. You know, I can't make it. Uh, my book launches in a month, and so I'm heads down on that. But but thank you anyway. That's great. It's not even strictly necessary. Um, so I think that a lot of the drama that we experience about this is internal rather than external. That makes so much sense. And when you just when you just read those two you know script versions, like it it really sounds lovely. Like there's no reason to be so up in arms and in our own heads and worrying about it. So thank you for that tip. That I feel like I'm going to start using that all the time. So uh, that'll make some more space in my life. I got one more question on this, and then I want to turn to the team situation. So this last question is, I have noticed that I am often putting things onto my future self. And so someone will ask something, and I'm like, "Mm, I'm too busy right now. How about we do it next month? And so my future self has all the time in the world, but my present self just keeps piling things onto that future self. And eventually my future self becomes my present self. And then I have to deal with all of these things that I pre-scheduled to. So I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. That That is a tragic irony, isn't it? <laughs> your future self becomes your present self. I think a lot of us face this for sure. And it's super common, of course. You know, we we, we look out into the future and the schedule is clear and we just somehow can't imagine that uh, the million things that are clogging our schedule now will still be operative in in a month's time but they they seem to always be so one rule of thumb that many people suggest is to treat each engagement 
uh, as though it really were happening this week? Would you say yes if it had to be this week? And if the answer is yes, great. If not, if you if you wouldn't want to do it next week, then you're or this week you're probably not going to want to do it next month either. And so it's sort of a harsh discipline, but it is an important way to actually get clear on what we what we really want to do. I think another way that can be helpful is to create rules for ourselves, essentially. And so I'll give you an example. You know, it's it's always easier if there's a rule that you can follow to remove some cognitive load. So for me right now, I am in my own little version of hell <laughs> because I'm uh, in the midst of launching my book, The Long Game, which is coming out September 21st. And so up, up until and through then, let's say through the beginning of October, I am going to be doing an inordinate amount of podcast interviews, print interviews, writing things, you know, doing, doing all of the, the full court press of the press. And this is, you know, usually three, four, five interviews a day. It's very, very intense. Now, I know in advance that that is not how I want my entire life to be. And so at a certain point, you know, my entire life could be that actually, because there's an infinite number of podcasts and media. And if you didn't really have a strategy, you could say, well, you know, more is better. So obviously you should just keep promoting your book as intensively as possible into eternity. I believe that it's important to keep promoting your book, but I also realize that I can't sustain this pace forever. So I've instructed my assistant, and you can instruct yourself as well, that starting October 1st, that I am limiting things to four podcasts per week rather than, you know, uh, probably about 15 per week, which is what I'm doing right now. So, you know, that's, that's just, that's how many slots there are. And once that gets filled, it'll get pushed to the next week or the next week. And January and February, I'm going to be taking a break where there's no podcasts. And then for the rest of 2022, I'm going to be implementing an ongoing strategy where it's two per week, which I feel like is a manageable and sustainable number. But, you know, if you do that for, for 10 months, obviously, you know, you'll get what are so 10 let's see if i can actually do the math so so <laughs> that would be eight times 10 that'd be 80 podcasts over the course of a year which is a really good way to keep the drum beating on your book but at a much more sustainable pace but what fuels it is creating the rule about the numbers and once it's booked it's booked and it just you know that gets uh, pushed out but not to an overwhelming level I love that. I rely on rules all the time. And I think actually it might have been you, but it could have also been someone else I was emailing back and forth with about people wanting to get together over the summer. And I had made a rule for myself, speaking of the the same kind of approach, that I wanted to spend more time with my family because we were together in person for the summer. We, we, we became a pod. And I did not want to spend time socializing over Zoom with people that I could see over Zoom anytime. And so I made a rule that I was not doing Zoom coffee dates over the summer and that once the fall began and once kids were back in school and my family wasn't around, then I would pick up on all those coffee dates and and get back into building those personal relationships again. And it was so much easier to tell people, I'm sorry, I'm not available because I had this rule in place. Yeah, that's great. I love it. That's a perfect example, Mamie. All right. So let's shift gears here and talk for a little bit about how to talk with your team about empowering them to say no. Because as managers, right, we have our own busy schedules that we're contending with. And then we also have a team of people who we may be delegating to, who are you know, themselves very busy. So 
Are there any approaches for talking with your colleagues or your team members about how to encourage them to create more white space and to know when to say yes and when to say no, even if that saying no is to you as as their boss? Yeah, yeah, this is this is important for sure. So ultimately, of course, a part of us, if we're a manager, wants to have our employees just do the things we ask, do the things we want. And uh, that that is a natural desire. Also, simultaneously, if you're a good manager, you don't want your employees to become so overextended that they start to do low quality work or they start to burn themselves out and the whole purpose of it is defeated. And so it's important to actually tease those things apart and make sure to the extent possible that we are providing our employees with the tools that they need so that they can hone these skills. Because again, the, the, the most important thing we have to realize for any professional is that unless we set rules, unless we set parameters, uh, the, the urgent, you know, the, the, the reactive type things are going to encroach every single time. And so we need to teach our employees to be able to steer their own ship. So I think one, one easy rule is to say to them, look, if you reach a point where you feel overwhelmed by all the things you have to do and you are not sure what is most important or where to start, that's the time we should talk and we should we should caucus about it. And as a manager, it is my job to help you sift through that and to triage and to prioritize because you may in fact need to do all these things, but I recognize you can't do all these things simultaneously. So being able to to help walk them through the process and also, you know, explain the context so that they have the skills and the knowledge for next time so that they can be making those calls and they don't have to come to you is something important that we can all do. I love that. I mean, I'm such a fan of this, you know, let's solve this problem together and let's teach other people the right skill set so that they can do it on their own. And then we can you know, all be less busy and have greater work-life balance and be working on the right projects and not overloading or stressing ourselves out all the time. All right. So we are coming to the end of our time together. And I know you were already on the show and you've been an entrepreneur your whole life. And so I'd asked you about a great manager before, but I'm wondering instead this time, if there's someone that you have come across in your life in any way, shape or form as a mentor, as a friend who. Uh, you want to give a shout out to because you see them as being a great manager. Yeah. Well, one one person who I think was really special for me, actually, uh, and I'm trying to remember five, you know, th- three years ago who I who I might have talked about on the uh, the podcast. I can't quite remember. I don't think that I would have mentioned this necessarily, but it's fresh in my mind because I actually had a dinner a couple of weeks ago in San Francisco. And somehow the question came up, there was like a table question about people who had inspired us. And I started talking about this person and I just, it was actually embarrassing. I started, I started tearing up. Uh, but, but my boss, when I was an intern, I am sure probably what I talked about when we were last on the show was that mostly as a employee, 
I just had terrible managers. I had, you know, these like ridiculous people, uh, you know, one of them just couldn't say a nice word about me and kept criticizing me. And another one was so busy having a crush on my employee who was an underperformer that I couldn't discipline him because she I... was like really into him. So it, it was, uh, it was a little messy. But when I was an intern, when I was in college, my the summer between my sophomore and junior years of college, I just had this woman that I thought was the best boss. She was so cool and took me, her name was Kim and Kim would like take me to meetings with her. And that was, that was very special, of course, because now, you know, as you, you know, as the meeting expert, maybe most meetings, not very exciting, but <laughs> when you're in college and you've like never been to meetings and, you know, we were, we were working at a nonprofit. And so I just felt like, oh my God, every meeting is like on the precipice of changing the world. Uh, it was, it was very heady. And, and she was, I think a really, a really great uh, mentor. And I was just so inspired by watching how she did things. So I would like to give my my shout out to Kim. Oh, that's awesome. So I'm pretty sure for anybody who's thinking back, wait, did I listen to episode eight three years ago? I'm pretty sure I didn't ask you this question because we talked about how you'd never really had like a super awesome manager. So I'm so excited that you had this opportunity to reflect back and uh, and remember Kim and, and give her the shout out. So thank you. Absolutely. All right. And where can people learn more about you, get a copy of The Long Game, all that good stuff? Yeah. Thanks so much. Well, The Long Game is available in all the typical bookie kind of places. And if folks are interested in learning more, I actually have a related uh, free item. It is the Long Game Strategic Thinking Self-Assessment. And folks can download that for free at doryclark.com slash the long game. And they can learn more about the book, but also uh, ask themselves a series of self-reflection questions to uh, just get those uh, strategic thinking muscles going. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again, Dory. So fun to talk to you always. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Mamie. Members of the Modern Manager community get my Saying No Cheat Sheet to help you remember when to say no and how to say no in ways that feel good. This bonus is available to members at the Sprout level or above. To become a member, go to themodernmanager.com slash join. All the links are in the show notes and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter. Find that at themodernmanager.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit Meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at MamieKS.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.